Hi, I'm George Tekmanchov. It's another Eastern Target Archery podcast. And once again, we've got our good friend Rod Menzer, CEO of USA Archery. And we're in a special place here, Rod. Uh, yes, we are. We're at uh, we're in Chula Vista at the best shooting facility, um, definitely in the United States, but most likely in the world. I think so, too. This <laughs> building that we're in, we're in the 70-meter range at the Easton Archery Center for Excellence, designed by none other than Jim Easton's brother, Bob Easton, a world-class architect. A lot of people don't know about that. No. I did hear about some of the things with some of these big wood beams and, and what they had to do to, and special permitting and things to, to bring those in here because they had to remove some trees or do some things. Um, but this is truly an incredibly beautiful facility. Um, the history on the wall um, down the hallway about the Olympic Games is, uh, I mean, if you are if you are an Olympic fan, boy, that is something you really want to go and look at. There's some artifacts here oh. that you know, Daryl Pace's bow from the 1976 Olympic Games comes to mind as just one of the artifacts. Yep, the flaming arrow, right? That Easton uh, made, um, you know, for for the, the games there to light that torch. But this 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 indoor facility, the outdoor facility, these grounds, um, the staff here. Everything about this is uh, is world class. Uh, with it, and, and again, that's probably why there's there's there are so many um, foreign shooters here shooting, top shooters that are yeah. here shooting this event because it is uh, it is so well run. They they do such a great job. And, and this event being the SoCal Showdown, and we're here while the show the SoCal Showdown. Don't want to have to say that three times fast. <laughs> is uh, going on. Mike Schlusser is here. Brady Ellison is here. Casey Coffold is here. We've got Luis Alvarez from Mexico here. We've got so many top-level athletes from around the world, as you pointed out. Yep. Paige Pierce, of course. Yeah. But you just look at, I mean, there's a, a bunch of the 3D circuit guys are here, of course. And then, of course, the target group is all here with Jimmy Lutz and Chris Schaff and all that. And But, uh, um, you know, Tanya Galantine's here. Braden, of course, is here. Um, you know, there's, there's an awful lot of, of phenomenal shooters um, here. And and the future talent, all the youth that are here, um, incredible amount of youth that are always show up at this event. This particular event actually has a higher proportion of youth than the other USAT events. This is the third USAT event this year of the four events that are going to take place, Correct. plus US Nationals, Correct. and this one has the most youth. Correct. Um, it, you know, this Southern California, Arizona, um, that is a, a strong point for US archery and it's our, and our membership. Uh, we have an incredible amount of uh, youth, um, you know, that come out of here. So it is always great to see new faces and um, and people that get hooked. And, and all of a sudden you start seeing them at all the other ones. We also learned about an amazing statistic involving USA Archery, kind of a milestone in some ways. Yeah. And that involves the under 21 category. Yes. So actually, if you look at, I wouldn't even know if I went and looked at U21, what that what the ratio would be. But... When you look at our um, 18 and under, 18 and under youth, we are at USA Archery, we are, um, when I looked last year, so I didn't see the numbers yet this year, but we were 51% female and 49% male. And it just shows, and you know, of our, our membership, I mean, youth membership is about 13, a little over 13,000 youth um, of our 26,000, so half of our membership, right? And that really is phenomenal when you consider the archery industry as a whole generally runs about 38%, which is actually considered really good now because it used to be a lot worse. Yeah. Um, but you know, our membership overall, I believe we are somewhere in that 42 to 44% female. 
um, which is again outstanding. Um, you know, we've taken a, a lot of pride in making sure that all the opportunities um, within USA Archery are equal between men and women. And that I think that includes things that like shows prize that. money as everything. well as training opportunities, everything, everything, across everything. The board. yep, everything. Teams, um, you know, it is it is the same. We treat everybody exactly the same uh, when it comes to those things, and I think that that pays off. And um, so you're you're really seeing. You know, you're seeing it. You're seeing it at our events, um, and our events just keep growing, and um, the youth are definitely leading that charge. Yeah, looking at the results just from today's qualifying round, one of the things that stands out to both of us was the fact that we are seeing sort of the middle of the pack become stronger yes. here in the U.S. Yes, for sure, and it is that group. It is that under-21 group that um, is getting deeper, wider, shall we say. Um, you know, they the future looks fantastic and you know to be honest the team for paris is going to be a, a, a dog fight because there are um, there are some youngsters right now that are just hot and they're really putting pressure on shall we call call, call them the veterans in their mid-20s um you know yeah, it's um, actually fair to say that for the first time <laughs> in literally close to two decades there is no one with an absolute lock on the olympic team for paris 2024 which is kind of exciting. Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, you know, you look at, at people like Casey Koffold and, and uh, you know, Brady Ellison and Jack Williams, those three in particular who have been shooting really at that elite level for a long, long time. However, you know, I mean, you look at today, I mean, uh, Jennifer Messino, she qualified first on the women's recurve. Um, Catalina, you know, Catalina was the third and, and right there and coming, yep. right? So, you've, you know, sandwiched in there was Casey, and yep. Casey still shot good. But Up-and-coming shooters like Jackson. Absolutely. Jackson Mirich, um, he's a fantastic young man who's only getting better and, and really showing it. And, and there's a bunch more. Um, Christian Stoddard and, I mean, there's, there's just this group of, of young, you know, 19, 18-year-old um, kids that are call them kids it's funny when I call them people like 18 and 19 year old kids but yeah. um, they, they are Relative really to us. <laughs> yeah they, exactly they are shooting great and and there's so many of them you know Ben Hur and, and yeah um, Anderson I mean so many of these kids are, are really really shooting well which by there. the way best athlete name of the year yeah Ben Hur <laughs> yeah Ben Hur you got it yeah but you know <laughs> I'll say this as well not just on the Olympic recurve side no. which is of course you know a, a, an important focus as we approach yeah. Paris 2024 but as I was telling your colleague Richard Fleming from USA Archery today the, the fellow who handles media Keep an eye on some of these kids that are coming out of programs like George Riles's program yeah. and some of these other programs, yeah. Yeah. because that compound cohort, man, they're getting strong. And, yeah. well, as we'll talk about a little bit later, they may also have their own Olympic opportunity in the future if things go really yeah. well. Absolutely. I mean, you look at, at like here, I'll give you a, a good example of women, uh, compound women. Uh, two of the girls in the top six are you know, literally cadets. They could be competing in cadet division today, 18, un under 18, right? It's Lico and Olivia Dean. Right. Um, those two um, were right there. And, um, you know, it's, you just look at, you look at the talent level um, that is being shown on the women's side right there. And then you look at how deep the men are. 
you know, with the, of course the rise of Sawyer being, you know, he's been shooting so good this year. But super talented but, kid, Sawyer Sullivan. Yeah, I mean, but Jimmy Lutz is still young too. He's Jimmy like Lutz is a world champion. He's a world and champion, he's... but he's he's really a young guy. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's uh, just a bunch of, of talented talented um, folks out there that are are making a good run. And if all oh, you have to just go to between ends, and you will see the. Uh, the scores that were shot and how many in strong wind the men i mean i thought there was like 10 12 that shot over 700 and this is strong wind this there was were a, a few people that were a little i, I noticed some wind. of the people who'd come in from the 3d side of our sport who came yeah. to this event were a little shook up by what they were dealing with out there <laughs> some of the old veterans even guys like mike schlusser who's here yeah. um you know they they kind of had a, a tough time but this is san diego you and i have been resident <laughs> athletes here and done many USAT camps over the years. We're used to that. Starts out calm, then the wind picks up, then it switches on you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there were literally nine people that shot um, 700 or better. And some of these, again, when you start looking at these, the ages, right? So there's Jimmy, right? And then, of course, you have Mike Slosser, 708. So Jimmy was 710, 708. Bodie Turner, right? <laughs> winner of Vegas last absolutely. year. Absolutely. Nick Capper's winner, winner of the Pan Am Championship. Yeah, and right? a guy who's so, also a Vegas finalist many times. Correct. Um, Angus Moss, um, Sawyer Sullivan, uh, Braden Galantine, of course, um, Cooper French, and Chris Schaff were, were, were literally all over 700 in really tough conditions. Yeah. Um, but when you look at that, there's half of those folks are, are young, right? And you gotta love it. And they're learning from the older cohort as well. You know, that's one thing, the, the dynamic that I've seen is that you're seeing a lot of the younger guys being mentored by some of the older guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they get along really well. Yeah. I mean, they want to beat each other out there bad. Compound camaraderie is a thing. It, it, it is. I mean, they, they, they're constantly joking and pushing each other out there. They, they want everybody to be good because they know that it makes them better. And I think that's the, the thing that sometimes is lost with, uh, with some of the you know, folks that just start coming in, but they soon realize that that's the case. Um, you know, that... When you come in, it's like you, you want to hold all your secrets and you want to kind of keep your things. And then later you find out, well, they really weren't secrets that everybody's doing them. But more importantly is you still have to shoot the arrow. So everybody talks, everybody helps, everybody pushes each other because they know that the better their competition is, the better they're going to shoot, period. High tide raises all boats. It really does. You know, and, and so that that's really cool. But, yeah, you look at the women's side on the compound, again, going back to our, our conversation. So you got, you know, uh, Carson... Uh, she was third, and uh, Liko and Olivia Dean. So the top three, we have three young, young, young ladies. And, you know, the veteran Paige Pierce at 28 years old. Yeah, yeah, and Alexa's in there. And, and yeah, Alexa, yeah. she's in her early 20s, and um, Tanya, I'm not sure exactly. She's got to be somewhere around Paige's age, maybe. I don't know, but... Yeah, she's in there. Uh, just, I mean, um, really tight, tight... Um, you know, you go you go down and you got McKenna Proctor right there, Daniel Lutz, Madison Cox. You know, these these ladies are only getting better in this format, and it's really fun to see because every tournament they're right there and they're they and they're shooting better scores. Fun. We are we are currently in the third USAT event of the year. We started out the year with the Arizona Cup, yep. and then the Gator Cup in Florida. And finally, um, we will end up with the Buckeye Classic, I believe, as our yes. as our fourth event Correct. of the year, and then U.S. Nationals. Correct, and also the first qualifying event for the Olympic Games. And that's where I was headed with this discussion. We've yep. got the first major qualification event for the Olympic Games, which is 
the Berlin World Championship yes. taking place For at, the, at the end of July, beginning of August. Such a critical thing, and it's three years early in some way. I mean, you might say it's a year early, right? Because, yeah. you know, the Olympic cycle was disrupted by the coup, and we ended yeah. up with, you know, Tokyo 2020 taking place in 2021. So if you haven't been paying attention, folks, you know that normally it's four years before, between Olympic Games. Now we're talking three. Uh, it's not a rushed project, but I will say it has a different feel right now. It really does, and, and to be honest, Tokyo had a different feel, right? Because with COVID and everything that came in there, there was a lot of disruption in training, a lot of disruption. You know, here as, as resident athletes, they were disrupted, and some, you know, be home and things were closed. And, and so there was a lot of challenges um, just for those folks that made the Olympic team, of course, or, or even making the Olympic team uh, yeah, for you know, Tokyo. Steve and I were talking about a Japanese athlete who in my mind, absolutely would have meddled had she been able to shoot Tokyo 2020 on schedule, didn't make the team for the second round of selection for 2021 because it just, it, it whipsawed so many people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and we had some of that too. Yeah, you know, definitely. And and so to your point, it's like you just get done with that, right? And all that, all that time and effort um, does go, uh, there's extra effort, I should say, not everything, but there's extra effort trying to get that team and the resources and everything that you do to put that team um, in a place to hopefully do well, at, you know, in the Olympic Games. And, and then right after that, of course, you know, we lost one of our, our best female uh, recurve shooters uh, to retirement with Mackenzie Brown. Yeah. And, um, you know, but everybody, it's kind of like we had to retool more than usual because of that, just the weirdness of everything. Um, but then also to your point of, holy cow, it's three years we got to have somebody ready. In reality, trials start in two. So it's two years you have to retool and you go through it all over again. Um, and that's where, again, I'm really encouraged with the, the youngsters that are out here and how well they're doing. I think some of those are going to make a run. We might have some surprises uh, making this team, um, you know, for Paris. Yeah. And part of that is going to be, of course, the next part of the, maybe the most important part of the goal, which is earning that team slot yeah. in both categories, both men and women, at Berlin. Yes. And, and to that, I mean, we do have a camp that we will be do going with the uh, recurvers. They will be um, over there a week early um, training and um, trying to get acclimated, but also doing extra work on team rounds and just, uh, just teamwork in general. Uh, but they will really be able to dive in without distractions and, um, you know, prepare and get ready for, for Berlin. Because, it, you know, it was, it's different this time. Um, you know, before it was top eight, you got your slots, right? Now it's top three and you got your slots. And other factors are coming into the rest of the selection if you don't get those top three position slots here and becomes more complicated, which is one reason why USAA has been bending over backwards to accommodate the fact that some schedule changes forced on you by world archery on a certain level yeah. um, created a situation where, for example, at this event, you've got to fly your athletes out to Medellin for the World Cup third stage Correct. 24 hours sooner than you were planning on. Yeah, yeah, it's a full day's travel. Even though you're not changing too many time zone, it's still a full day's travel. So we had to get them out there. Um, anybody who's traveled internationally, I know I've had my bags lost, my archery equipment lost um, going to tournaments, and, and it, it's it's so frustrating, but it's a regular occurrence. And, and you usually you can get them within 24 hours. Yeah. And so giving that extra time 
and and for them to acclimate because you're there and you it's like you did an all nighter in college. And a huge altitude you know? change in this particular yes. case. <laughs> yes, altitude. I mean we're at sea level here in San Diego at the <laughs> moment. Correct. So so they need to hydrate. They need to get rest. They need to do things. So you know we've adjusted the schedules and everybody's seen um, you know to accommodate that team. I mean and it's it's important you know and I wa- really want to stress this. I know some people have been frustrated like hey we're not paying attention to everybody else. The reality is we we really are the NGB. You know, we we are responsible for the the World Cups, World Championships, the the Olympic teams, and we have to make sure that those teams do well because if we don't finish first, second or third in podium in Berlin, the last team slots most likely are all going to come from world rank. Team world rank so the team going to to Colombia, you know, getting rested and doing well there, all of that really makes a big impact on how they're going to perform and what their final rankings are going to be. And that could literally determine teams. So we had to do these things. And, it, you know, to be honest, it's also it's allowed us to do some streaming of these last three events with with our U21, our juniors, um, and give them some um, some time in, in that spotlight of, of being streamed. Um, in the finals type venue, um, so that's that's cool and it's great for the development um, there too. But but that is what we've had to do, and you know apologize, um, you know for for those that were it's disrupted, but we we didn't have a choice. And, and well, let me let me let me let me jump in here for yeah. a second because you have to be in your position very diplomatic about some things that you say, but I don't. So let me just point out <laughs> that all those people who are a bit whiny about what's going on with the schedule to accommodate the team will benefit from the success of the team in a big way. That includes every category, compound, recurve, and bare bow, all benefit by the success of our Olympic team because fundamentally, most of the opportunities afforded to those categories are largely funded by the achievements and the way the cash flow works to support USA Archery from the USOPC, from the IOC. And yeah, your partners. From all of our partners, to be honest, and sponsors and stuff too, right? But but more importantly, we all want to see this grow. We want to see our events grow. We we, we love going to events. They have been growing. I mean, yeah, this they, has been a record been, year. Yeah, it, we've we've grown substantially at, at all three events so far. Matter of fact, the, the first two in, uh, were sold out. We literally, they were... You had waiting lists that yes, were... Yes, correct. And here... Um, you know, it's a record. Last year was record attendance, and we're 100 more than last year. Um, Three different fields here in San Diego to accommodate all those shooters. Correct, correct. And so it's it's very cool. But you know, we we have to, people are inspired by the Olympic Games. They get into archery. They get into USA archery. They get into these events. Uh, they want to be on the stage for World Cups and World Championships, and and um, that's why you know in many cases they join USA Archery and and the Olympic Games and our performance there obviously has a big effect on it so it is just like the Hunger Games right you you come out with the Hunger Games and you get all these people all excited they see archery for the first time it's the same thing Olympics you know, in the Olympic Games people see archery sometimes for the very first time you know archery what some people may not understand but in the last um, three Olympics archery has been top three sports um, on online viewership literally of all the sports in the Olympic Games, Summer Olympic Games. And that is, um, that says an awful lot. That means a lot of people are paying attention to archery during the Olympic Games. And we do get new folks all the time. And which is going to be the next Olympic champion or world champion, um, you know, or college All-American, you know. And, and, and that's the other cool thing about this is all those youth is we now have at USA Archery, we've got 26 varsity programs. 
So 26 programs that are offering scholarships for youth. That's pretty awesome. That's almost the most in college, four decades. Right, almost 100 college clubs um, total, but 26 varsity programs. So there's a lot of opportunity for, uh, you know, and there's college coaches here recruiting. Yep, I saw a coach from <laughs> uh, Ivy League schools here today. Absolutely. And they are looking, they are scouting. You know. Correct. They are paying attention to who's here, what they're doing, how they're doing, um, and they're literally recruiting. And it's fun to see, and it's... Um, you know, it's, it's, that's what this is about. You know, we, we want to provide opportunities for people to make teams, provide opportunities for people to go to college and shoot a bow still, um, you know, to, to do things that are absolutely amazing in this awesome sport of archery. That's yeah. just really it. And this is a great showcase for it here in San Diego where we have, you know, just... Uh, it's, some foundations. It's, yeah. The yeah. foundation, in fact, uh, supports this particular event. It yeah. puts on this event. This is the event yeah. that they put on. Yeah. Um, like you said before, best center, best archery training center that I have seen in the world. I was privileged to be the MC when this was opened back uh, just a few years ago. And Jim Easton was here and we celebrated his birthday here. And, you know, um, it has stood um, as the legacy, but also the home of the resident athlete program, Coach Kesey Lee's program here at the training center. And um, of course, this great tournament. Oftentimes, there's other opportunities for people in the community to come here and learn archery and shoot, mm-hmm. and uh, it has really turned into what a what a great facility. It's just great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are um, every year we've got the user nights that are available to to archers that qualify, and they come in here even if they're not a resident program. They may come here for a week or two weeks or three weeks um, and train here. Um, and so that's neat because there's the dorms, you know, again, you know, something that the Easton Foundation's, uh, you know, built. And, yeah, they're and, more like apartments, really. Yeah, they're really, they, yeah, they're nice. And so, the, the, again, this facility and, and everything that they do here, and it's something that I don't think people really understand all the time, too, is these events, these USAT series, they're actually not run by USA Archery. Right. They're actually run. These, these events are other folks. You know, Local Eastern, organizing committees. Correct. Correct. Yeah, Arizona Cup is run literally by the Arizona Cup. Um, we tag them as a U.S. Airtree Team USAT event, yeah. and we, you know, we'll be there and kind of watching, and, and we may help um, with with some of the scoring and things like that. But yeah. but they run the entire event. Everything yeah. about it, um, they run. Now, and to be fair, I mean, without USA Archery's input, you wouldn't have certified correct, judges on the field of play, correct. the directors of shooting, yeah. all that sort of thing. So there's the ones a, it's that a symbiosis. The cost of all that yeah. and stuff. So, so there, there's, you know, they do a great job and they take on a lot of risks. And without our partners, without those organizers doing these events, um, you know, we just, we just don't have the bandwidth or staff to literally put on this many big, large events. I mean, I know just for Arizona Cup alone, they, they literally work on that for an entire year. Yeah. A, a group of people. Right, I was to talking to Jason together. Fister, who organizes the Buckeye. Buckeye yep. And um, while they don't spend an entire year, they actually kind of do a little bit of an all-night cramming session. Yeah. <laughs> it's still a ton of work. Incredible. Yeah, they, they have a large club, and everybody turns out, and those guys work hard. There's and, another and name. There's another guy who uh, was one of our contemporaries. Talent. What a talented talent. shooter. Talent. He had, that kid had so much talent. Um, uh, not a kid anymore. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not. And, um, you know, it is, I remember going to the championship Americas in Bogota, and this was a time when, when Columbia wasn't as friendly as it is now. Um, and uh, the field where we were going to be shooting, that there was a bombing uh, there, and we were in Miami. And... Uh, Unfortunately, Jason at the time, I think he was 17, um, 
he ended up, his parents said, nope, you're coming home. And uh, they ended up moving it to uh, an officer's military base, right? And that, that's where we ended up holding Very it secure in. facility. Very, very secure facility. But they, they, they you know, Jason had, had to go home. And uh, I know that chaplain, but hey, we won gold. You know, we, we took gold. So uh, we, we held up our, our part of the, the deal there. But um, he was a talented young shooter, man. And he's still pretty good now. <laughs> but, yeah, but absolutely. He, but he was a talented young shooter um, at that point in time. Uh, for sure, and, and his family did monster trucks too. That's pretty cool. It's really cool to see his <laughs> engagement in our sport continuing after all these years, and and taking a leadership role in running one of the, by all accounts, very best of the USAT events. Yeah, it, you know, the, if you talk to the athletes, it is um, it is literally their favorite. They 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 like the Buckeye um, the best. Um, you know, it's a the way that you know, it started out as a local event it started as a regional it, event there. it did it did and and they do again they do a really good job they they always try and add some new things every year but it is it is one of the favorites of the uh, of the athletes so um, that one's coming up on the calendar soon and in yeah. fact it's around the same time as the beginning of berlin if i'm not mistaken yes, so yes it is you know there's uh, another opportunity for folks particularly if you're back east it's within driving distance of something on the order of 70 percent of the american population Yes, and and it's one place where um, we won't have any uh, wait lists. They they've got plenty of space, and they they will definitely uh, we'll, we'll we'll have them all there. We'll just so, plow another cornfield. That's right. No, it's, uh, they they've the way that field or where they're located, they've got uh, soccer fields galore on that line. So it'll be it'll be a fun event. Well, Rod, I'll tell you this. Um, just to recap. We have so many opportunities right now. We are in the thick of it. This is the height of the season. This is a critical time for USA Archery, for many other programs around the world, of course. And we are seeing the fruits of hard effort here in the United States. But you know, everybody else is working just as hard and you're seeing really good results in places like Korea in the compounds. You're seeing, of course, their normal domination and recurve. Mm So, you know, when we look at what happens in Berlin, the one thing that we can't predict is who's going to have it on the day. Correct. You know, that's always the, uh, that's always the tricky part, right? Um, but, you know, to your point in compound, you know, hopefully we'll find out, uh, you know, late fall here, probably end of October, early November, if uh, compound gets added to the uh, Olympics in LA 80, 84. 88, yeah, um, 80, or sorry, 28. 28, what did I say, 84? <laughs> sorry, it's all good. Oh my God. It's all good. That's when I graduated from high school. By the way, speaking of Olympics, 84, we got Glenn Myers out on this field. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there you, you know, go. There's and, another. And Jay yeah. Barr's 88. <laughs> I mean, you know, our cup runneth over yeah, with. Justin Hewish is out here. Justin Hewish, 76 <laughs> Olympic champion. Our, you know, we're, we're so fortunate to have these guys still involved in the sport. Yes, yes. I mean, it's awesome. Our masters in general. I mean, they're Tom Stevenson. Oh gosh, yeah, they are here and they're always here. Um, they're fantastic. They're such a core. You know, the, most of those guys are the ones that are running the Joe clubs, right? Yeah. I mean, they they have continued yeah. to give back to the sport. Hundred percent. And and they're here and it is just awesome. Yeah. You Saw know? Gary Yamaguchi today. I mean, oh, guys yeah, like absolutely. that. You know, guys who've had just been at it for and, and they've had their families at it for years and yeah. he's at it and. Just amazing. Yeah. yeah, and they're still shooting a struggle stick, not a compound. Yeah, know. as God intended. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it, it, it is really neat, and I'm, I'm looking forward to um, us actually getting compound in the games. And, um, you know, with that, it will open up an entire 
new opportunity for everybody. I mean, just it'll be amazing. There'll be a lot of retooling, a lot of a lot of a lot of changes. I'm sure. But the thing people have to recognize is that this can be done without negatively impacting recurve archery. And I think you know, I keep seeing a few doomsayers in the usual suspect corners of the internet. I, I sincerely don't believe for a moment that that's going to have that kind of impact that they're predicting. No, I agree with you completely. I don't think it's going to have an impact at all. Um, we've seen it with other sports. Uh, usually when they add um, it in, you know, very similar circumstances, uh, it has not. I'll tell, uh, you, I'll tell you where it will have an impact. More archers. Yes, that is the impact. That's right, literally right where I was going to go, George. What it will do is actually create more archers. And so... When, when you, there's a lot of times, you know, again, recurve is hard and training and you know you've shot it your whole life. And, yeah, and you know how hard compound is at a high level. It, it is, but but it's still easier to shoot when you're later on, you don't have to shoot it as often. I mean, it, I, recurve I takes I won't say a easier. lot more energy. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna say it's less time consuming potentially. Yes, 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 exactly. You don't have to train quite as hard um, right. to maintain or to shoot well. and. Not to say, again, our compound don't train hard. They train incredibly hard. But there's a difference, um, you know, to it. You know, you're not going, if you if you can shoot four times a week with a compound, you're probably going to be good. You shoot four yeah. times a week, you're barely scraping on a recurve. Well, and, and, okay. and it's just different. But it, the, the point really is you get to a certain age where a lot of times, unlike some of the people we just mentioned that are here, where they're just like, ugh, and they just stop shooting um, with recurvers. Now... Um, those people, I think, will stay. Yeah. They'll stay. They may change over to compound, yeah. but their passion will still be recurve. Trust me. I, I still, it's my passion still to this day. Um, you know, I, I have more fun shooting a recurve than I've ever shot with a compound. But I, I really believe that'll be there. But we will get more archers, period. More archers will be interested and more archers will come into this sport because archery will have even more exposure than what it currently has today. And with more exposure comes more people literally trying the sport. And let's remember, you're hearing this from a world field champion with compound and a championship of the America's gold medalist with a recurve. So if I'm going to hear it from somebody, it's going to be Rod Menzer. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you on it. But it's, um, it, is, it is true, and, and I, I really believe it. I, I'm just so passionate about the sport. I wish we, you know, I wish we could do a lot more than what we, what we do today. But, but you know, our, again, our funding is limited in a lot of different pieces. And, and, uh, but we need to always continue to try and strive and find, find ways to support you know, everybody better. But it is, it is difficult because we do spend an incredible amount of money um, sending teams. Um, you know, you're talking million dollars a year practically sending teams to, to events. Um, and that, that's pretty substantial for an organization or something. And it's an investment in the future as well as the continuing ability of the organization to help put on events like this that we are at right now, to do all the other things you're doing in terms of training instructors, training coaches, training all of those people who are an integral part of continuing, not just growing, continuing our sport, without which we, I mean, just look at judge certification as one thing. Without judges, you don't have events. No, it's very true. And this helps to try and give a more consistent uh, experience on judges. I mean, I, I've, you know, many tournaments I've been to um, on the compound side throughout my my career, um, and uh, you know <laughs> the judges were literally like, "Hey, so and so, you know, the 14 year old kid who was sitting in the back is like, hey, we need someone to judge this line. Okay, great." And then they were out there judging. Um, it is what it is. Um, again, it's just great to have somebody that's willing to step up. 
but having that consistency, especially at this level and when so much is on the line, I think is really, really important. So the judges work really hard. The amount of time that they put on, the, on their own, this is not a high paid gig by any means. No. Um, for them to do this um, is fantastic. And it takes, a, it takes a, a breed of people. Without them, though, we could not hold these events. Well, you know, for the last uh, 10 years or so, I've been going to a lot of tournaments in other countries, but I haven't been to too many USAT events. Um, I will say that right now, looking at the judge corps out there, they're looking as professional as anything I've ever seen anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I've been world archery events or anything else, and I, I truly believe our, our judges are, are pretty equal to the caliber that we see there. Um, they, they're, they're, they're getting better every single year um, and deeper and younger, and I think all those things are great, and some of our former shooters, which is really nice. Um, but uh, the, again, the amount of time and dedication that they put in—it's—it's it's just like those Joe Club leaders and, and all those master shooters that we were talking about earlier. You know, without them, without our membership, whatever everything that we're doing, um, there's just no way this organization um, is around. And, and we continue to grow. Um, and uh, you know, I'm—I'm I'm at these events, and the reason I'm at these events is—is is one, I, I love archery, and I'm a geek. Um, you know, so I'm a fan and I get a chance to come do that. But more importantly is I, I wander around and I try and talk to as many people as possible. And I love it when people come up to me and talk to me and give me their ideas or give me their feedback. Or, and you got to keep your pulse on what's happening. Absolutely. Or they got a concern with this or they want to know why we're doing this or why don't we do this. And, and, and so I can help explain that um, in person. Yeah. And um, I think that's really, really important because, the, you know, a lot of people aren't going to pick up the phone and all that. But hopefully if they see me, they know it and come on over and, and you know, whether it's uh, a compliment or criticism, I, I don't mind. Please uh, give it to me. It's incredibly valuable. Valuable, um, because it tells us, you know, how we need to make adjustments, what we need to be doing to try and, you know, with the parameters that we have to live with, you know, with Safe Sport and, and USOPC and a lot of other types of things um, of how we can improve these events. And I think that's one of the reasons why you, you are seeing the attendance grow um, so much, um, you know, for the past four years, really. Yeah. Quality of the product, a consistent product. And, and I say the word product because I, yep. you know, it kind of is. Yep. Yep. And then part of that is, you know, uh, everybody understands their role in your staff. Everybody understands their role in the judges commission. You've got a situation where the volunteers do a bang up job at all of these events. Uh, it's a system and it's a synergy. And the shooters, of course, are the ultimate beneficiaries of that product, but they're also your customer. They, without them, there's nothing, period. Like, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't matter. If, if they're not happy, um, you know, quite frankly, uh, we need to fix things and do it quickly because they are the most important thing for us as, as you know, th that is it. And it brings it full circle to the point earlier, which is sometimes you've got to make some adjustments that might make some people maybe a little bit unhappy with the schedule change for the greater good of taking care of the shooters in the long run, having a product for them in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. It is just a... It's a fact of, of how we need to do some things um, to um, literally to, to, to handle our mission, to literally make sure that we are, are doing everything that we can to literally um, hit our strategic plan and to, uh, to follow through to our mission as USC Archery and NGB for Archery in the United States. Main takeaway from this, folks, is stay tuned because compound in the Olympic Games is a potential thing, Very good potential. but not a done deal yet. Nope. And we have to keep an eye out and do everything we can to continue to support the concept because we'll have more archers. Correct, correct. So, you know, just uh, 
be excited about it. Um, it's interesting to see some of the stuff that you know flows around on the internet. Um, but flows it, around is a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, be excited about it and support it, and um, know that if it happens, it'll be the the biggest thing to happen to archery since archery was added back into the modern Olympic Games. Um, you know, d- fifty-one you know, years ago. Yeah. So adding that to um, to the Olympic Games compound will have a dramatic pack impact on our sport. And a beneficial I mean, one. Yes, from hunting to school programs to backyard shooting, everything. Well, it will have a dramatic impact. And not on just in the U.S. I'll, I'll tell you something. As you know, um, I've been working with the teams at a number of companies to try to bring compound archery into the schools in Japan. One surprising thing to me was the view of the compound bow as a tool of hunting only. I had no idea that that was how it was viewed, but that is the reality. Bringing compound under the umbrella of an Olympic sport will only benefit all archery, but you know, the, it, will, it will help to ameliorate that unfortunate, I mean, there's no shame in bow hunting. No. But in some cultures, it's unacceptable. I get that. And the reality is it will help to solve that issue. Absolutely. I mean, you look at, we, we started by getting compound in the World Games, right? Target compound, not field, but target compound. Right. In, in, so that was a change. The 50-meter round. Correct. So that got added. And then we were able to get compound in the Pan Am Games. And then with that, other Continental Games. Asian Games added, added compound. Added compound now, right? All of these things started really in the Americas. And it was the push there that got us to where now we're in this position to potentially have it into the Olympic Games. And it's our best chance um, in a long time. But it's literally been years and years and years in the making, being patient and waiting for the right time. Yeah, it came down to, first, we had to have differentiation, make it different than the recurve round. Second, we had to have gender equity and gender equality. And we had to have universality. Universality means it's practiced on all the continents. Mm -hmm. Gender equity and uh, gender equality speak for themselves. Yeah. Now we have all those elements in place. Yes, we do. And we can see it. I mean, you look at... And maybe in the case of your U18s, <laughs> you've got even more, you know. Yeah, you know, our U18s, like I said, I, I'll, I'll take the top 10 compounders um, on the women and the boys' side and uh, the recurve side, uh, the women and boys, and... and take them to any tournament in, in the world and, as, and put USA on their back. Uh, any three of them uh, are going to compete. Uh, so we are deep. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. Unfortunately, when it comes to the games, uh, you don't get to take everybody. <laughs> um, and no. it kind of helps to even the playing field a little bit, even like at World Cups, right? I mean, you've got a lot of countries that have one, two, maybe three good shooters. Um, <laughs> And they can compete and they can win, but there's nobody, nobody in the world that has the depth, especially on compound. And there is one more point to make, and that is that if we do get compound for the Los Angeles Olympic Games, we are at least assured of at least one slot for each category. Absolutely. The host country always gets a team. So that is another beautiful thing if we can get it into LA. So write your congressman and I don't know if that would do any good. <laughs> no, but no. no. It's, it's all right now with uh, I think the uh, uh, 
you know, the, IO, the IOC and the uh, organizing committee with LA 2028. I, I think, think it's, it's fair to say it's that things two. are very positive on the IOC Correct. side. Let's hope that continues to be the case and that we continue to showcase our sport in things like the upcoming Asian Games this year, where Compound is going to have a prominent role, where yep. Korea is doing a lot to push Compound forward in that part yep. of the world. Yep. We will have, of course, our performances to, to look forward to in Berlin and other events taking place, including the World Cup Final, which will take place in Mexico later in the year. Yes. Great opportunities all around for both sports, Compound and Recurve. Exactly. That is very well said. <laughs> Rod, I want to thank you taking the time to join us here uh, for the podcast. Uh, we're going to continue to talk about these things as we get closer to Berlin. We'll do uh, uh, an assessment as, as that event takes place. Uh, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure, George. Thank you.